0: We will be opening our Bibles again to the book of Hebrews as we make our way steadily through this great, glorious book written by God, the hand of man, preserved by him down through the ages and delivered to us even in 2023, the very words of God. Now, chapter 8, chapter 8. Please follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you, on the mountain. But now, he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Let's pray together in anticipation of the word, shall we? Our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Oh, you are God, these are your words. And we are people of your words. It is by your word the earth was created. It was by your word that we came to be. It was by your word that you sent your Son. And by your word that he died for us who believe. Blessed be your name in all the earth. And Lord Jesus, it is by the word of God that you serve even now as high priest of the order of Melchizedek in the heavenly realms. And this thing we endeavor to attain even today in the coming days and rejoice in you and have confidence in you and not ourselves. O great high priest, intercede on our behalf In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the main point. Here in about the middle of the book, the main point. A transitional phrase at least. It's either a summation of all that has preceded in this word or an introduction to all that is coming afterwards most certainly it links it all together and makes a main point. The main point is this we have such a high priest. Do you notice those first words? The main point of the things we are saying, and now notice this. We have. We have. So easy to just run by those, isn't it? This possessive statement, the writer himself included, speaking to all believers and Hebrew believers alike, we have. The main point of all of these things we are saying is we have. We have. Isn't it true that people will ask us many times, so why should I become a Christian? Well, the main point is, we have. We have where others don't. We have more than others did. We have. What benefits are there to those who believe in this Jesus or even have this so-called great high priest? Well, we have. We have. The main point of all of these things, Christian, the question may be proffered to you someday, where is your confidence? Where is your peace? Where is your joy? Where does it come from as a follower of this Jesus Christ? Could it be that we could just answer, we have. We have, we possess, we have such a high priest. Of all of the things that you could have, here is the having of a high thing, of a great person. We have such a high priest. What do you have? We have a high priest. AND HE IS NOT JUST A HIGH PRIEST, HE IS SUCH A HIGH PRIEST. HIS GREEK TERM MEANS SUCH AS THIS KIND. THE STATEMENT'S EVEN BEGGING A QUESTION, WHAT IS THIS, SUCH A PRIEST? WE HAVE SUCH A PRIEST, AND YOU WANT TO SAY, WELL, WHAT IS THAT? SUCH A PRIEST AS THIS IN QUALITY. Such a priest is this in type. Such a priest as this in kind. Such a priest that is like no other priest that you could say, here are the priests before and then we have such a high priest. There is no other high priest ever was, ever will be and the one that we have is greatest of them all. He is such that we have. It is Hebrews that we just studied in chapter 7, verse 26, where we see this very same such word when we read a very similar statement, it was fitting. That we, listen, should have, that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate, from sinners. Now the main point of the things we are saying is this, we have such a high priest. We have such a high priest. If you want to know about this high priest, start listening. Would you just listen then? Along with the words that have just been proffered to us, we have such a high priest. And if we have such Who is he? Lord, we have faith, said his disciples. And then they said, Lord, increase our faith. This is how faith is increased, by the knowledge of the holy, by the knowledge of God. By the study of the Bible in theology, what does the Bible teach us about God, about His Son, about the Holy Spirit herein? We have it. The main point of what is being said about Jesus, the Son, who as chapter 1 verse 1 says, who now speaks is summed up here and is a springboard for the rest of the book of Hebrews. This main point is divided up by our author, by our speaker, in a very succinct and a very profound and a theologically packed way. The three sub-points, the main point, and here are the three sub-points about our great high priest. Our high priest's majestic elevation is the first division. His majestic ministration is the second and his majestic exaltation is the third. These are given to us in this age and down through the ages so that Christians, we may soar in our confidence. The confidence of Christians seems to be so lacking, and I think the lack comes from lack of knowledge, lack of faith in who and what it is that we have already so that we may soar in our confidence, we may rest in the peace of this knowledge and live in the joyous benefits of having such a high priest as Jesus, this Jesus of the great order of Melchizedek. We have. We have such a high priest. We have, number one, such a high priest as this who is majestic, in elevation. Majestic in elevation, and I mean that in the literal sense of altitude and status. First, we'll look at his elevated situation, his majestic elevation in his situation. look at the words that we have here again in verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated. Who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty And the first important elevation is that he is seated. Now why is this even significant? It is significant because his role that is being pointed out his oath that God gave that established Jesus as a priest of Melchizedek of that order, this is an establishment of a ministry that heretofore was only done and accomplished by the priests of the Levites and the sons of Aaron while they stood. When you go to work, sitting down is easy work, as I understand it. it took me years to adjust to my work in the office on a chair as my father was a working man who worked with his hands his idea was if you didn't sweat you weren't working and most of us have this understanding of work and the levites certainly understood it when they went to work it wasn't a sit down job read your old testament Read of the goings-on in the temple. Read of the feast days and the festivals, the preparations for them, the ministrations in them, the daily sacrifice, the lighting of the lamps, the sacrificial provisions for the people, uh, constantly the moving, and even those who are singers and the practicing and the singing, and those who are the players and the playing and the playing. And all of these things stood. A standing position. You did not go into the temple to sit. If you read the descriptions of the things in the temple, there are no chairs but one. There is one chair in the temple, and that is in the most holy place. It is between the, uh, the wings of the cherubim. It is called a seat, a seat for God, the mercy seat. Not only God sits there. This high priest is now to be visualized as sitting, sitting. The priests who never sat and were always and continually accomplishing the work of the ministry, this Jesus now sits, a sign of culmination, a sign of a finished work, a completeness to his ministration before the altar of God, giving gifts and offerings that were required. It is parallel. It is parallel to Genesis. The Lord God spoke, and he created the world. In six days he spoke, and he spoke, and he spoke, and he created, and he created, and he made, and on the seventh day he rested, and on the seventh day he rested, and he called that Sabbath. Not that God quit doing anything else, but he ceased, he rested, he finished his creative work, and he had called it good. He called it good. Is there any doubt that even in this very book, there's a call on people, the children of God, to enter his rest? Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world in chapter 4, verse 3. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying, in David, today, after such a long time has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Enter his rest. There is a rest that is entered into, and it is only entered into by God's people, because God himself and this great high priest has finished his, a work, and he sits finishing that high priestly sacrificial offertory work, his elevated, elevated, magnificent situation seated at the right hand. He is seated now at the right hand of God, and this is where we bring together the two worlds of the priest and the king. To sit at the right hand of God is to be in the elevated status of a royal, of one of honor, beside God the Father, It is a signal to all who would look and look up that God himself has accepted the high priestly work, the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ, and has invited him to sit at his right hand and to wait till his enemies be made his footstool. Accepted by God, honored by God, seated at the right hand of God, this dual priest and king now ties together the separate roles under the law into one role under the King Jesus Christ, the great priest-king of the book of Hebrews, of the promise of the prophets who came before, namely Zechariah. He fulfills both priests And he fulfills both king, even as we remind ourselves just briefly of chapter 7, verse 1, for this Melchizedek. Melchizedek mentioned here the type of Christ, the type of high priest who would come is identified in kingly fashion. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now chapter 7, verse 2, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. He seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. We have We have such a high priest. Such a magnificent situation, and now such a magnificent position. His elevated position. His elevated position sits at the right hand of the throne of majesty where? In the heavens. In the heavens is where he is seated. It is his position. Where will you find him? On the map. The map that has Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is in heaven. How can this be? How is this understood? It is to be majestic. Seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens." David, the king, near the end of his life, having been prohibited by God from building a temple, building a house for God, It said to God, I want to build you a house. I want a place for you. I have a house of cedar, David said. I want to give to you, God, a house, a place for you so you no longer have to be in the tabernacle, in the tent. May we give you a permanent dwelling. And God said, no, David. You shall not be the one who builds me a house. For you are a man of blood. This was said to David, the man after God's own heart. This was said to David, the appointed king, the anointed one of God. And this was said to David, I believe, because he was the one that looked across the roofs and saw Bathsheba. And in trying to hide his adultery, he had taken Uzziah and pronounced his death sentence and charged the commanders of the army to retreat from Uzziah the Hittite and let him be killed Man of blood. His hands were dirty. He could not make the house of God in Jerusalem for him. So David. So David set about collecting materials for his son who would build God a house. And such was his zeal for the house of the Lord that the leaders of all the tribes of Israel joined together in giving. And they gave to the work of the house of God, so says the Bible. We have recorded what David said after he had raised all of these piles of gold and piles of silver and precious stones and the cedar of Lebanon and all the things that would go into the house of God. He then turns his words to the praise of God, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Listen to the words of David. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. I skip down to verse 14 in 1 Chronicles 29, and David continues, But who am I? This is the heart of true belief. This is the heart of humility. This is the heart who glimpses majesty understands God in his majesty. But who am I? And who are my people? Wasn't it Israel who would come to say, we are the people of God. God cannot throw us out. We are the special ones. David says nothing of the sort in humility. He says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? Isn't that something that we need to adopt? Particularly in giving. He acknowledges God in his greatness. He acknowledges his people in their weakness and their inability. And their humility. And then he concludes this verse 14 in such a profound way that it exercises and elevates the majestic position of God. For all things, David says, for all things come from you and of your own, listen, and of your own we have given you. We have. Such a high priest. Where did he come from? How did he get there? Why is he in the heavens? He is God. He was of God. He was given to us by God and now serves God for us. Back to God we have because God gave. We have such a high priest as this Such elevation of position, of situation. What is higher than the heavens, I ask you? Choose your map. We have. We have such a high priest as this, secondly. A high priest, such a high priest. Majestic in ministration. Majestic in his ministrations, in his ministry. And his ministry now is identified as having location. Ministry of location. And I'm going to not keep the verses successively together, but thematically so. And we'll look at verse 2, 4, and the beginning of verse 5. Look at verse 2. A minister. How do you get your points, pastor? Well, I try and get them from the Word. And here they are. A minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle. Sanctuary, true tabernacle, and of heavenly things. You know, there's a rule in real estate. In real estate, there's a way in which you can value properties. And the best valuation that can be given to any property comes under these three headings, Location, Location, Location. No matter what your property is, no matter what building is upon it, what matters most is Location. And the location of the ministry of Jesus the Christ, King, High Priest of the order of Melchizedek, his ministry of high priest is located in the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle the sanctuary the word sanctuary basically means this holy place a place of holiness a place set aside For the holy one, the holy place, for holy doings, for holy ministrations. The holy place of which there is not two in this case, but one. Why is that significant? Because it was not always so. Under the Mosaic law, under the temple, the tabernacle that was first made and then the temple, there were... Two holy places. There was the holy place, and then there was the most holy place, divided by a curtain. The most holy place where God's glory dwelled between the cherubim on the mercy seat was only entered once a year, and by the high priest. We find these dictates in Exodus 26, Look there, if you will, if you've turned ahead and noticing those references in your notes. Verse 33, the instructions of God to Moses and then Moses to those who would put together this tabernacle. And here's the instructions, verse 33, and you shall hang, listen, the veil from the clasps. Now, I want to point out to you the function of this veil that was just to be hung by its clasps, says, Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there, listen now, behind the veil. The veil shall be, here's the purpose of the veil, the veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. There was a division of approach. Truly the time of Moses and the children of Israel entering the promised land, establishing the tabernacle, which was also called the tabernacle of meeting, the place where you met with God, was a dispensation of grace. Heretofore there wasn't a place where you could go and find God to meet with him, to inquire of him, to approach him at any level. It was God who would choose to approach or not to approach. It was God who sent his messengers out. It was God who sent his prophets to the people. The people had no place that they could go to find God. The beauty of the law of Moses, the beauty of this time when which God would approach them this way and allow them an approach to him is that he dwelled in their midst, yet he reminded them there was a veil of separation. The holy place only for the priests, and even the priests only so far. The people in the court, in the outer court, but never that close to God. They were meeting with God, but they were meeting with God at a distance. They were meeting with God through their priests. They were meeting with God with ministry, and they would hand over their offerings and their gifts to the priests, and the priests would make offerings. And never would they go into the most holy place. Never were they allowed into the inner sanctum of God. Never were they to see the actual glory of God, Shekinah, shining forth. But then came Jesus. Then came in the discourse of time when Jesus sacrificed himself. He said to Pilate, You have no power over me. I give myself willingly. He offered himself on the cross. In Luke 23, we pick up the reading. Now it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened. Now listen. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Fathers, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. As Matthew tells us, he also said, It is finished. He sacrificed himself, and the veil of separation from the holy place to the most holy was rent in two, symbolically opening the way through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, and he now ministers in heaven in the sanctuary that is singular. Such a high priest. As Hebrews has told us in six nineteen, who has entered the presence of behind the veil in the glory of God he ministers in the sanctuary and then note in your Bibles back in chapter 8 verse 2 and of the true tabernacle there's a key word there true and of the true tabernacle what do you mean true? Remember, there is a comparison that is being made in Hebrews to the priests under the law of Moses and to the high priestly work of Jesus Christ of the order of Melchizedek. The priests of the Levites served a temple. They served God in that temple. It had a sanctuary, but now Jesus, whom we have now located in heaven is ministering in a sanctuary singular of the true tabernacle. That means we better pay attention to this word true. And this word true means this, as in the original. The original temple. The authentic tabernacle, if you will. Key, simple, defining word, the real, the real tabernacle, the real temple. This is the one from which was patterned after the earthly temple of Moses. The true one, in such a way, in such a a reference point, true as opposed to all others. This very word was used with regard to Jesus Christ, his person, his being, his ministry. First John has several references using this word in the Greek for true, and I want to just give you a few because it highlights the enormity of the otherness, the higherness, and the separateness and the origination of the word true. First John 2.8 is the first I turn to. 1 John 2, 8, listen, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and listen, and the true light is already shining. These people lived in a world of light, There's light by day, by the sun. There's light at night, by the moon. Light, but not true light. A true light, an original light, from which what you see on earth is only a copy, is already shining. Now 1 John 5, a second reference I'd like to take you to there. and I hope you'll take up the word study yourself and enjoy some of the things you'll find under this True word that is used in our passage in Hebrews 8 2. But in 1 John 5 20, we read, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him. Listen, that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life so what's god like true true god is seen in the true jesus christ the temple that was on earth is not the true one there is a true one in heaven an original which the lord erected himself listen to hebrews 9 25 24 is all we'll do, I guess, today. We have such a high priest, and his ministry is in the true tabernacle. Hebrews 9, 24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands. Did you hear that? So the one that was made under the Mosaic law, pronounced by God, given to Moses, made by men and men's hands, this isn't that one. This is the true one. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true. What was on earth is a copy of the true tabernacle. In his son, Jesus Christ, listen, oh, excuse me, I I skipped a verse there. True, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. We have, we have just such a high priest who appears in the true tabernacle in the presence of God on behalf of us. Such a high priest. Location, sanctuary, the holy place in the true tabernacle in heaven, not made with hands. Second location, 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 location. Second location, not on earth. Back to Hebrews 8, now skipping to verse 4. How did I get this? I got it here. For if he were on earth, this tells me he's not on earth. Pretty sharp, huh? For if he were on earth, which he's not. You cannot look for Jesus on earth yet. And while he is off earth, which is what this means, he's not on earth, means he's off earth. He's an outrimmer beyond the unknown lands. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. One of the reasons why Jesus had to leave earth and ascend into heaven was to complete and to keep up the ministry as high priest in heaven. It is good for you, he said to his disciples, that I go away. And instantly we all think of what he mentions next was, I'll send you a Comforter. I'll send you the Holy Spirit Helper. And that's part of it, but that's not all of it. It is good for us that he goes away, that we can have such a high priest who ministers off earth. If he were on earth, he could not minister as high priest on your behalf, because there are priests that do that and offer the gifts according to the law, and he's not that priest. He's not our priest that does that. He ministers in heaven. Why would we want priests ministering for us on earth if we have such a high priest as this ministering in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle, off earth? Why? They order gifts according to the law. It's another reference, another proof that the law has passed away, that it signaled the coming, it pointed to the coming of a high priest, it pointed to the sacrifice of Christ, but did not fulfill, it did not save, it did not accomplish the gifts and sacrifice. Numbers 1640, I highlight just briefly. Here is where the high priesthood of Aaron was contested, was contested by Korah and his group of men who wanted to lead. God tested all of them by charging them through Moses to each of them to bring a staff, to bring it in, and put it inside this tabernacle, this holy place. And that God would choose who he wanted as his high priest, And you know the story. It goes that the only rod that budded, proving that he was to be the high priest, was Aaron's rod. And not only did it bud, it produced almonds. It is kept and has been kept inside the Ark of the Covenant as a sign of God choosing that man, his family, to minister on earth the law. And then in 1640, we read that this was to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider, listen, that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should come near, that's the key term, come near to God to offer incense before the Lord that he might become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. By the way, those who contested the high priesthood of Aaron were swallowed up in the earth. I wonder what God thinks of those who are trying to steal the high priestly ministry from Jesus the Christ who ministers off earth in heaven. Could there be a more low, a more earthly bound, a more fleshly attempt at realizing an intermediary ministry that has gone awry than what we see whether it be in the Catholic Church, whether it be in the Mormon abomination of culthood or any other so-called priesthood that does not align with this high priesthood. And some of you might be saying, but doesn't the Bible call us a, a, a nation of priests? Aren't we priests And Peter? Yes, we're priests and Peter, not high priests. And in what sense priest? What do priests do? Bring people to God. So who are you gonna bring them to? The Catholic Church? Say here, Father got another one. No, you bring them to Jesus, who is both Savior and High Priest. He is both the sacrificial Lamb and the Lamb of God who saves the world from their sins and intercedes in the temple of God for us. That is the only sense in which we are priests. In Hebrews 7, we see the comparison again the levites ministering on earth and from that tribe but jesus being specifically chosen not from that tribe but from judah hebrew 7:14 we remind ourselves again for it was evident that our lord arose from judah jesus was a jew not a levite of which tribe moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood it is Yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law, listen, not according to the law, listen, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, of a commandment that is done externally without internal reality, but according to the power of an endless life. We have We have such a high priest, his location, sanctuary, the true tabernacle, not on earth, and now in the heavenly tabernacle. Why do I mention this? Because God did in this way. Verse 5, Hebrews 8. Those priests who are mentioned in verse 4 were earthbound and serve according to the law, not in the true tabernacle, Verse 5, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Brothers and sisters, I think this is where we need to pause. We're entering a realm. We're elevating on high. We're going to the ultimate of locations that for us is at many points impossible for us to understand. How is it that we can understand this heavenly tabernacle, this heavenly location? How is it that we should understand this this sanctuary and the true tabernacle and not steal majesty from God? And I say that because of this, because this is where a pause needs to come. Even as the psalmist used to write, and when he was writing such high words, that God was giving him uh, such a flavor of the otherness of God and the highness of the reality of the relationship with God, oftentimes within the text of the lyrics of the song of the Psalms, he would pause and he would write Selah we still don't know quite how to interpret it, and I think we don't know how to quite interpret it, is because it demands one thing, silence. Silence where you speak no words. Silence where you meditate on what you've heard to realize the majesty of what it means. Here's that place. The copy, the shadow of the heavenly things, were found in Israel and in the tabernacle. The holy place and the holy of holies where the glory of God appeared between the, ter- the cherubim. But God has a temple in heaven. Why? Why? Why is there a temple in heaven? What's it for exactly? Okay, Jesus is ministering there on our behalf, but why does God need one, and why was there one there before Moses? If it's the copy, if it's the pattern, it was there, it's original. God's had a temple in heaven, and I almost used a word for time. But we have to remember when we're doing this, when we're speaking of this, we're speaking about a God whose heaven transcends time. Time is of this realm. Time is of this creation. Space. Matter. Planets. Earth. Constructs. Declare the glory of God, but do not confine Him. God does not fit in earth. That's why we have to pause. There is a majesty being displayed and an offer of approach unto God being presented. Therefore we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was all points tempted just as we are yet without sin. Therefore let us come boldly Before the throne of grace. What grace? What throne? This same throne that is in heaven. This same throne by the side of which Jesus sits. This same sanctuary where the glory of God dwells. The veil has been rent and Christ has entered in. And we can approach because of his ministry there. What is this? It does not confine God. How do I think? How do I even worship this high? Lest I build in my mind a temple that contains God, that is small, cubit by cubit. Lest I make a holy place that is not worthy of his glory. What is heaven if not the sanctuary of God? What is this place in which he dwells if not the throne of God? What is this God who the prophets tried to Articulate even using the words of God, as Isaiah said, of God's location and of his majesty. In Isaiah 66, the last book of his prophecy, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And he asks this question, where is the house that you will build me? The impossibility of that is to be realized. If he sits in heaven on his throne and the earth is a place where he rests his feet, who are we confining? And what do we think we have done if we build him anything? And where is the place of my rest? Isaiah goes on in proclaiming the words of God. Verse 2. For all those things my hands has made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. What does God care about? How do we honor? How do we elevate our thoughts to majesty? Listen. But on this one will I look. We're talking about approach to God talking about acceptance by God. Even an Old Testament view of God. Listen to this. But on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit who trembles before my word. Who says, how could I possibly approach God? I am not worthy. We join with the tax collector in the temple who bows and beats on his breast and stands in the back and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. We say, Lord, I'm not worthy to approach this throne. Lord Jesus, you must go before me. I stand upon your promise. I stand upon your position. I know where your location is. I may not go, but I may glorify thy name the psalmist as well an attempt to raise so high the thoughts of men to the level of the holy one says in verse 4 of psalm 11 the lord is in his holy temple the lord's throne is in heaven his eyes behold his eyelids test the sons of men they did indeed build a temple They did take those things which David had collected, and it was to Solomon that fell the job of building the temple. And they took those things and they faithfully builded it. When the temple was complete, replacing the tabernacle, and the presence of God filled it, Solomon made dedication to this very temple, all of which I wish I could read, but one verse of which I shall try Solomon declares in 2nd Chronicles 6, verse 18. And he says it with awe. He says, but will God indeed dwell with men on earth? And can it be that I should gain an entrance in the Savior's love? Will it be that man Will have God dwelling with them on the earth? Yes. A dispensation of grace. But then he tells us, and he looses the idea in the minds of men from the bonds of what we would call earth and earthliness and finiteness and trying to put God in the box of a temple we would build. And he says it this way, Behold heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you how much less this temple which I have built. What did he know? He knew the greatless and the glory, and the majesty of God's temple on high, of God's person and being. We need this. We need to know this. You have such a high priest as ministers there where we can't even imagine and goes in the presence of God for us. It was even to the Greeks, to us Westerners who need to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he stood in the Areopagus and reasoned the one true God. He said to them, God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. That means he dwells in a temple made without hands off earth in the heavens where Jesus ministers. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life breath, and all things. Brother and sister in Christ, we look to the God in whom we live and we move and we have our being and we look to his high priest and we take of what he's given us and we give it back and we worship. And we acknowledge we have such a high priest. What do we have? We have such a high priest ministering in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle for us. Why is it then that we fear? Why is it then that we despair? Why is it then that you think your salvation lost? Has Christ not died for you? Have you not put your faith in that sacrifice as being in your place? Does Christ not intercede for you forever? And be of good cheer. We have such a high priest. Let's pray. Our words are Small, our thoughts are inadequate, O oh Lord our God. But we would have them expanded. We would be elevated in our thinking to assess the majesty that you hold as an original part of your being. To see Jesus, whom you have given to us, and we now have as our great high priest, high and lifted up in majesty, in ministry, in location, be glorified. And build faith in our hearts that we may walk after that truth. In Jesus' name we all pray. Join me in saying, Amen.